All right, well, if you have your Bibles, could you turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 44, the book of Genesis, chapter 44, we're working our way through the story of Joseph. Um, This series actually started way back a couple years ago when I started going through the Hall of Faith. And um, Joseph is in there. It says, by faith, Joseph, he told when he was dying, he said, God will deliver you. Bring my bones with you when you leave Egypt. So it's interesting that with all the things that Joseph did by faith, that that is the one thing that is mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, um, that he had faith that God would deliver the people. Remember, they were brought to Egypt to save their lives, and then eventually they would have to be brought out of Egypt to again save their lives. So today, we're going to talk about Joseph and the Goblet of Silver. No, this is not a major motion picture coming out. It is instead a test that Joseph does with his brothers. Um, I did a lot of studying and contemplating and praying about this because part of me, at least from a human perspective, was like, why would Joseph test his brothers the way he did? But I think ultimately what Joseph wanted to do was to see if his brother's hearts had changed in the time since they had sold him into slavery. Remember when he was about 17 years old, they beat him up and threw him in a pit. The original plan was to kill him, but Reuben said, don't kill him. Preserve him alive. He is, after all, our brother. And Reuben's plan was to go back to the pit, deliver Joseph from it, and release him to go back to their father, But of course, in the time that uh, he was gone, uh, Judah and the other brothers sold Joseph into slavery. And so um, we've seen Joseph rise from slave and then to head slave and then go down to prison and rise to head of the prison and then be in prison and have the um, the one person that was supposed to remember him in prison, forget him. And uh, the cupbearer. And uh, then, of course, he's delivered from prison and made the ruler of all Egypt. But in each step, Joseph learned to use the wisdom of God to make the people around him prosper. And every step that we've seen in Joseph's life, we see this phrase played out over and over again, and God was with him. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's one phrase that I want people to say at my funeral, it would probably be that one. God was with him. Because, you know, if God is not with me, then nothing I do in this life matters. 
Paul even went as far as to say, if Christ be not risen, our faith is in vain. And we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen? And therefore our faith has a purpose. Therefore he could say at the end of the chapter, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For so much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Joseph, of course, was looking forward. This is not, I mean, we, he did not uh, experience the coming of the Lord. But he was definitely learning to follow God every step of the way. And in this particular case, it starts out very um, strangely. Joseph is going to set his brothers up and then he's going to accuse them. So let's look at the first six verses here. And he commanded the steward of his house, uh, Genesis 44, verse 1, and said, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put every man's money in his sack's mouth, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, and his corn money, and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses, and when they were gone out of the city and yet not far off, Joseph said unto the steward, Up and follow these men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore hath he rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? You have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them and spoke unto them these same words. So, Joseph puts the cup in Benjamin's sack and he leaves with them also their money. Um, and I think it's interesting that he leaves the money because if, if he had left the money, if he had not left the money and, all, and just put the cup in, um, they might have been a lot more suspicious that Benjamin actually was guilty of stealing the cup. But I think um, because the fact, because of the fact that, that he, the, he left the money in the mouths of the sacks, the brothers were, were more than determined to go and figure out what exactly was going on here. And I think it's interesting that he allows them to get a little ways away, and then he says to his steward, go follow them. And challenge them, why have you rewarded evil for good? Now remember, there was a time when they did reward evil for good. Because they took Joseph, who was the favorite son of their father. And he was, he was just trying to do his father's will. He went to see how his brothers were faring. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. And then they told his father, we found his coat. We found this coat. Is this not your son's? And so their father said, it is. Surely he is dead. And then it says that he grieved bitterly for his son. So... I don't know, but perhaps this was going through their minds as they're dealing with this situation. 
And I think that was Joseph's point. And uh, of course we have this interesting verse, is this not it in which my Lord drinketh, whereby indeed he divineth? Now I'm pretty sure um, Joseph did not use this as a divining cup because he served the living God and we never see him deviate from that path. But it was an Egyptian tradition that that was how the Egyptian rulers would find the will of their God was to, was to see what the cup had to say. And so, one way or another, he allowed them to believe this. Remember, at this point, the brothers still don't know that Joseph is their long-lost brother. And uh, so, I think what he's, what he's doing is he's putting them in a high-pressure situation. The last time they were in a high-pressure situation, they fled responsibility, they lied... And quite frankly, I don't know how they kept up the lie all those years. Because I, I wouldn't have been able to keep up a lie like that for, for that many years. My, my dad probably would have been able to read that lie on my face. Let alone just being able to keep it from him by not saying anything. But for whatever reason, they're able to keep up that lie for that length of time. I wonder if we might read, by way of cross-reference, 1 Kings 3, 24 to 27. 1 Kings 3, 24 to 27. If somebody gets there, if they could read that for us. This is another example of a wise person who is testing to find out the truth. King Solomon never had any intention of cutting this baby in half. But what he knew was that the real mother, in this situation there were two mothers who lived together. They were, as far as we know, women of ill repute. They each had a baby. One died in the night. So the mother of the one that died switched it with the one that was living and claimed it was her baby. So then the one who had this, still had the living baby, who had been given the dead baby overnight, said, no, that's my baby. And they brought this dispute to King Solomon, who was regarded as the wisest king that ever lived. And he said, bring me a sword. Because he knew that if that baby's life was threatened, the real mother would do the right thing. And what Joseph is doing here is he is testing to see if the brothers will do the right thing. The quote, I found this quote. I don't know who said it, 
but it's pretty common. It says this. Some people will change when they see the light. Others change only when they feel the heat. Sometimes we have to be put through the crucible, through trials, to be changed. Paul said, knowing this, that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul also said that we suffer so that we can comfort others who likewise suffer. Paul knew about suffering. He, he was beaten. He was, he, was, uh, he was put in prison falsely. He was shipwrecked. So many times he should have died. And there were times when God would come to Paul and say, Don't worry, I have many people in this city. You will not die. But it didn't mean that he didn't go through trial. And he was in the stocks in Philippi when there was an earthquake after he was singing at midnight. And the Philippian jailer thought that everyone had escaped after the earthquake. And Paul said, no, we're all here. And it motivated the Philippian jailer to say, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So we can see that suffering can test us, can prepare us to make a life-changing decision. Second section of our passage today the brothers deny the accusation. Genesis 44, 7 to 10. Genesis 44, 7 to 10 reads, And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words, God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be the Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it um, shall be found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. They are starting to grasp the concept of personal responsibility. They didn't take any responsibility for Joseph. Matter of fact, they diverted the responsibility. They said, if we sell him to the Egyptians, we don't have to worry about him, we don't have to kill him, and we don't have to take responsibility for him still being alive and ruining our lives. It's the best of both worlds. But now, they have changed, and they're saying, uh, whoever stole this needs to take responsibility for it. And they say, now let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant and you shall be blameless. Now remember in the previous chapter, what was said about Benjamin? First of all, Jacob said, I will not send Benjamin. A few weeks pass. They have less food than they did before. He says, you need to go. They said, we can't go without Benjamin. 
And uh, Judah steps up and says, I will take care of Benjamin. I will make sure that Benjamin comes back safe. I tell you right now, I will stake my family on it. So he made a very serious commitment. Again, the opposite of what they did for their brother Joseph. So, when we have something um, go wrong for us, we need to make sure that we are in a right and humble spirit. I think it's interesting that um, they call themselves Joseph's servants. God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Remember they said that they would never serve him. Who are you to think that you would rule over us? And yet here they are calling themselves his servants. They don't know it yet, but they are. Let's look back at Genesis 37, 4 to 8. Genesis 37, 4 to 8. If somebody has that, they can read that for us. Again, I don't know if this was going through their mind at all because they don't know that this is Joseph yet. But the humbleness that they are showing is way different from what they showed in Genesis 37. So they've learned some things along the way. And we talked about that as rich as Jacob was, he couldn't provide grain for his family because there was no grain to provide. He had the money. He sent them with money. He sent them with supplies. But he needed the grain in order to survive. As rich as he was, he couldn't do it on his own. I think sometimes we get into the trap, I don't know about you, but I do, of thinking that we are self-sufficient. God didn't intend any of us to be self-sufficient. He intended us that by love we would serve one another. That, that was his intention for the body of Christ, is to serve one another. And, and he, he didn't know who Joseph was, but he, all he knew was that the ruler of Egypt had grain and they needed it. And when they came back with their money, he said, bring back the money again and go get grain. And he sent Benjamin. So now they're in a quandary because they just said, whoever has the goblet will serve you. Um, 
I found this other quote. It says, Times of calamity and confusion have ever been productive of the greatest minds. The purest ore is produced from the hottest furnace, and the brightest thunderbolt comes from the darkest storm. Again, the idea that God uses trials. James says, Count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be true and complete, lacking nothing. Pretty powerful words, but yet so true and so much that we need to remember. So now, our third and final point, Benjamin is framed and the brothers are humbled, which this is the whole point of what Joseph was doing. Let's look at Genesis 37, 26 to 30, or Genesis, Genesis um, 44, 11 to 17, sorry. Genesis 44, 11 to 17. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Now again, this proves that they had inside knowledge. Because remember, in the last chapter, they ate in Joseph's house. And what did Joseph do? He set them in order, oldest to youngest. And he gave Benjamin, a mess of food that was five times greater than in any of the other brothers. So they had to start thinking something's going on here because he knows some stuff about us that he shouldn't know. But it says, Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they rent their clothes and lately, um ladled every man his ass and returned to the city. And Judah and his brother came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell down before the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? Were you not, weren't you not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say, my lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are the Lord's servants, both we and he also, with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so, but the man in whose hand thy cup is found, he shall be thy servant. And as for you, get you up and go in peace to your father. So now we have a situation where Joseph is saying, Benjamin's going to be my slave. You go and be with your father and go in peace. And I don't know what all was going through their minds, but I know one thing. Judah's starting to sweat. Because he specifically told his father, I will bring Benjamin back to you safely. And now 
Joseph says, Benjamin has to pay. So he's going to be a slave. You're going to go back to your father in peace. Let's look, if we can, to Genesis 37, 26 to 33. Genesis 37, 26 to 33. Again, if someone gets there, if they could read it, I would appreciate it. And Judah said to his brothers, I bring you back to this passage because I find it telling that Judah is the one that, that speaks up to spare Joseph's life. And again, Judah is the one who says, I will take care of Benjamin. So even in the midst of these character flaws that we see in the brothers, we also see some glimpses of godly character. It just shows us that we can pursue godliness not because we are perfect human beings but because God can work in each and every one of our lives. You know, it's interesting, Paul, as he got closer to the end of his life, he thought less and less of himself. In one of his early epistles, he said, I'm one of the least of all the apostles. And in his final letter to Timothy, he said, It is a true saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary leader, once said when someone asked him how he was chosen for the work in China, that God chose a little man, little man, so that men might see what a great God we have. I think it's significant that these brothers of Joseph, they thought that they were so great, they thought they were better than him because they were older. 
Perhaps they thought they were better than him because their mothers never struggled with infertility, but they knew Joseph's mother had. Perhaps Rachel, because the few times that we hear her speak, she seems kind of like a vindictive person. Perhaps they resented her as a person. We don't know all the details. All we know is that Jacob's primary goal when he went to Laban was to marry Rachel. As soon as he met her, he knew he was going to meet her. He was going to marry her. He, the first thing he did when he met her was to walk up to her and kiss her, which I don't recommend. But that's what he did. And he worked for Laban for seven years, and it said it seemed like a few days because of how much he loved her. And then he was persuaded to work again for another seven years if he would marry Rachel after Leah. So he worked for a long time for Rachel's hand. So it was obvious that Rachel was important to him. And by extension, by extension, Joseph. Now, I was going to stop there and leave us in suspense, but since I have a little bit more time, I think we'll go on and read a few more verses. But I want you to see how, again, the humility is coming through. The humility that they did not have. They didn't humble themselves and say, hey dad, we, we sold our brother into Egypt. No, they, they kept it to themselves for all these years. Now I don't know the exact passage of time, but it could very easily have been something along the lines of 20 years. Possibly even more. So, as we look ahead, verse 18, Then Judah came near him and said, O my Lord, let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ear, and not, let not thine anger burn against thy servants, for thou art even as Pharaoh. Again, we see the humility here. Judah knows he has no standing. He's just begging to be heard. Because Joseph can say, off with your head. And then it says, My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left and his, of his mother, and his father loves him. Remember, Rachel died in the process of giving Benjamin birth. She called him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. And then Jacob changed it to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So this was a very important young man to Jacob. And thou saidest unto thy servants, verse 21, 
Bring him down unto me, that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said unto my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he shall leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidest unto thy servants, Except your youngest brother come down with you, you shall see my face no more. So basically they were faced with a situation where the ruler of Egypt would not see them anymore if they did not bring them in. And it came to pass when we came up unto thy servant, my father, we were told we told him the words of my Lord, and my father said, Go again and buy us food, and we said we cannot go down. If our youngest brother be not with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn in pieces, and I saw him not since. And if you take this one also from me, and mischief befall him, you shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life, it shall come to pass that when he seeth that the lad is not with us, that he will die, and thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then shall I bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the land, abound him unto my lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me? Lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father. So he knows what the impact of Joseph's death, supposed death, did to his father. And he says, I, I told my father that, that Benjamin would come back with me, and if he doesn't come back with me, then my father's going to die. Because He's already in so much distress, so much heartache. Because Benjamin's with us, I have to bring him back. And he makes himself surety. He puts himself in the stead of his brother. Again, this is way different than the brothers that we see in Genesis chapter 37 who could not even speak a word to Joseph. And next week, or next time I am speaking, we will see the results of this, but I just want to challenge you here. That in our own lives, we are in a situation where we cannot get out of punishment. There's nothing that we can do 
to quench the flames of hell, to make them palatable, to allow ourselves to be able to go there and to be able to handle it. Jesus said, it's where the worm dieth not and where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some people deny the reality of hell, but you know what? Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. And he did that for one reason and one reason alone, because he did not want any of us to go there. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the reason that he hasn't come back is because he's waiting. Waiting for who, who he knows will come to him. The times and seasons are in the hands of the Father. But the reason that Jesus has not come yet is because he's still patient. He wants more people to come to him. You know, Judah was willing to stand in the stead of his brother and send Benjamin back because at least Jacob would have Benjamin. And Jesus said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. My prayer for myself is that if I was ever faced with that opportunity, that I would make the right choice and that I would lay down my life for the people that I care about. But you know what? Even if I did that, that's not going to redeem anyone. I'm a sinner. A sinner dying for sinners still leaves sin on the table. So the only answer is for a righteous man to die for sinners. For a righteous man to say to us, that I who knew no sin will become sin for you, that you might be made the righteousness of God in me. And that's what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Is that that is what Jesus did. And unlike Judah standing in the set of Benjamin, which would have sent him back free in his earthly life, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free, he will be free indeed. And the moment that we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are passed, as it says in John, from death to life. That's really the choice that we have is to choose life or to choose death. I think that's why the devil is working so hard in our country right now to deny the humanity, the life of the unborn child because the devil hates us. He's hated us from the beginning. Because why? Because we're made in the image of God. 
God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And ever since that happened, the devil said, I can't have this happen. I'm going to disrupt things. And he went into the garden and he's been disrupting things ever since. But praise be to God, we have a God who saw that and said, it is unacceptable. I'm going to send my son. He's going to stand in the gap for you and you can be made righteous through him. I'm so thankful for that and I pray that if you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. Paul says, today is the day of salvation. We don't know what we're guaranteed. You can go, be going home tonight, be hit by a car and be in eternity. You could fall asleep tonight and wake up in eternity, either one of two places. So the best thing to do now is to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And even if he preserves you for the next 30 or 40 or more years, wouldn't you rather use that serving him than serving yourself or living for the world? I would. And I pray that you would as well. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this chapter of Genesis 44. Lord, we thank you that um, you use this time in Joseph's brother's life to bring them to a place of humility, to prepare them for the reconciliation that is to come. We thank you that you by your Holy Spirit, brought us who are redeemed to a place of humility before you to where we could trust and accept that there was no way that we could save ourselves, but only you could save us. Lord, we thank you and praise you from the depth of our hearts for this. Now, Lord, as we close, I just say um, that you may um, make your face shine upon your people that you would give them peace as they depart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.